0: Right, they repent, and this message I'm going to be preaching tonight. It's going to basically just—I'm going to preach a message on repentance from Jonah three because there's a lot of false teaching about repentance. I mean, all over the board. The old IFB—they they have a lot of bad preaching on repentance. The Calvinists have a lot of bad preaching on repentance, and we see a lot of things happen in this chapter that I mean prove a lot of different things about repentance. And to me, I mean, it just lines up perfectly with what we teach on the subject of repentance. So, as we go through this chapter, I want to teach you several lessons about repentance and how to interpret the Bible when it comes to repentance. It's very important. There's a lot of confusion on there. And it makes sense that the devil would try to confuse people on repentance, seeing that, you know, repentance is part of salvation. And I believe that uh, there has been a lot of. Uh, doctrine that has been corrupted on this subject because of people just reading after bad guys, just and it's just and mostly the bad teaching that you hear on repentance is just horrible Bible interpretation. So let's go ahead and look at uh, let's start reading at verse one, and I'm going to point out several things to you that hopefully will be help you and help you understand repentance better, or at least when you're studying your Bible, how to figure out for sure what it's talking about because. Before I get into some of the specifics, I just saw recently something somebody said. They did a post or something, and it's like they were trying to prove that a passage in the Bible, I don't remember which one it was, about repentance, wasn't being sorry. You know, because it's like, you have people that tell you, if you're gonna get saved, it's not just believe on Christ. You have to repent of your sins. In other words, you gotta be sorrowful for your sin. You know, you gotta be, I mean, like really sorry for what you've done. You have to have a truly repentant heart. So the thing is, you have people that make a big deal about that and make it like you're not saved if you weren't crying. So then you have people on our side who believe it's just, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then it's like they feel like they have to disprove, you know, other people's interpretation of a verse where repentance is about being sorrowful. And sometimes repentance is about being sorrowful. Sometimes repentance does mean you are sad. Sometimes repentance does mean turn from your sins. There's a lot of different ways that we can repent and we don't need to go through and do an Esau type Bible study when you're preaching on repentance for salvation and I'm sick of Esau type Bible studies. And I use ESOR, okay, But... It's not Bible study if you're just going and you're just reading all of the verses that have that specific word in it. You have to look at context. You have, you know, because it, it, it's like I want to preach a message on repentance for salvation, and then you go and you print out every verse that has the word repentance in there. Well, you know what? You're going to be wasting a lot of time because there's a lot of verses about repentance that have nothing to do with salvation. So you know, don't don't do that. So. Let me, let's me let start going through some of this and I think I'll be able to help you understand this a little better. So look at verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Alright? So notice the the message here. He said, this, this is from the word of the Lord, this is from the mouth of the prophet. What did he say? Yet forty days and shall be overthrown. That's a Bible prophecy right there. Now let me ask you was Nineveh overthrown in forty days? No. It was not. Okay? Now why not? Because the people repented, right? Now, let me ask you this. Where was the call to repentance in that message? It wasn't there, was it? The call to repentance was not in there. Jonah just went in saying, yea, in 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was all he said. He didn't say, yea, in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown unless you repent. He didn't go there and say, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. He just told them, this is what's going to happen. He didn't tell them to repent but yet they did repent. I mean and let me tell you, they were sorry. We're going to see, I mean they fasted, they even made the animals fast, the king and everyone, I mean they put on sackcloth. I mean these people, they believed this message and they were sorry. And we know see that God saw their repentance. God saw their works that they turned from their sins. And then God repented of the evil he was going to do. God changed his mind. God didn't do what he said he was going to do. God didn't allow Nineveh to be destroyed. Why? Because the people repented. So God, God literally changed his mind. So we see repentance in this one story is a change of behavior. It's a change of mind. It's a change of action. We see all of it right there. You know, said so the word repentance there's a lot of there's a lot of things people were sorry people changed but you know what Jesus you know God repented too okay and we know God didn't repent of any sins but God repented of what he was going to do God changed his mind we see so we see a lot of examples there and you know messages of judgment they don't always come with opportunities for repentance okay now now get this here because this is another area where Calvinists get mixed up. And where Calvinists will trip you up. Okay? Calvinists like to use verses that shows that God gives people repentance. Meaning, if you repented, it's because God gave it to you. In other words, you didn't have a choice. Okay? Now what does that mean for God to give repentance? Okay? I personally believe it means He gives the opportunity for repentance. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 2.25. Calvinists love this verse. This is what proves you didn't get saved because you believed on Christ. You got saved because you repented and it's because God chose you to repent. God gave you repentance. God did that in you. Okay? Because look what it says. 2 Timothy 2.25. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now why did he say this here? Why would he say if God will give them repentance? Is it because God chooses who repents and who doesn't? Is it because God has ordained for some people to repent and for some people not to repent? No, you know why God, you know why he said this here? Because first off, the repentance here, it was not repentance for salvation, it was repenting a false doctrine. It was repenting a bad doctrine. But did you know that there is some repentance some situations where God will not give repentance. Okay? For example, we all would agree that if you change the Word of God, your name's blotted out of the book, don't we? So what if, I, let's say I go and I, translate the, I retranslate the Bible. I make a new version of the Bible. Okay? Now, I believe only an unsaved person would do that. But let's say I'm that unsaved person, I go do that, and then later, I repent. I repent. You know what? I don't know that God's going to give me repentance in that situation. I don't know that I'm going to be allowed to do that. There are some people, except we, that are reprobate concerning the faith. There are some people that God's not going to give them repentance. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, how about when God said, you know, behold, they will call on me and I will not answer? You know, because, you know, he, that, or what about he that being off-reproved and hardened his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You know, How about seek the Lord while He may be found? Call upon Him while He is near. There are some situations where people push God too far. And you know what? God does not allow a place of repentance. Do you all understand that? There is no place for repentance. In Acts 5, verse 30, it says, "...the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom He slew and hanged on a tree." Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a Savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Calvinists also use this verse to show that it's God that gives repentance, meaning God chooses who repents. But no, God just gave them an opportunity for repentance instead of just rejecting them and casting them away. Like Paul said, God hath not cast away His people. They can still be saved if they will believe on Christ God gave them that opportunity for repentance. And in this story in Jonah, while we do not see in the message a place of repentance, was there a place of repentance? Well, obviously there was because when the people repented, God repented. And God did not judge them. So what we learn from this is that God sometimes allows repentance and sometimes He doesn't. Okay, and so when it came to Nineveh, God allowed repentance. When it came to Israel, in chapter six and seven, when it says "reprobate," silver shall men call them. Okay, God did not allow them repentance of the sin that got them put into captivity. And if you read chapter six and seven, when it called them reprobate, it was concerning the fact that. God had pronounced a 70-year captivity and He said there is no way out of this. God did not allow them a place of repentance so they would not have to go into captivity. You all understand that? There was no place of repentance there. But that's not the case in every situation. Sometimes, God does allow it. It says in Hebrews 12.15, it says, "...looking diligently, lest any man... Fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, but he bought it carefully with tears. that Now, is this about salvation? No. I believe Esau was saved, but what was what did Esau repent of? He repented of selling his birthright. He sold his birthright to Jacob for just one morsel of meat, and you know what? He repented of that, and he wanted his birthright back. And he prayed for it, he begged for it, he cried about it, but you know what? God did not allow it in that situation. You know what? And you know what it said? It said he was rejected, which is one of the meanings of the word reprobate. okay Now I, Esau was not a reprobate but he was reprobate concerning his birthright. y'all get that? reprobate isn't always about salvation too, okay It just means rejected. So when Esau came and he's crying, wanting his birthright back, guess what? He got rejected. There was, repentance was not allowed in that situation okay now having understood all this do you all understand what it means when the bible talks about giving repentance and not giving repentance and does it make any sense at all that when it comes to salvation god just chooses who gets saved and who doesn't get saved that is completely bogus but they do they they have that weird teaching cuz they just want to teach that predestination you know election junk so bad and there's just no way to make it fit the whole Bible. You can't do it. So, look at what it says. Uh, turn back to Genesis. Here we, well, let's look at another story where we do not see a message of repentance in here or a place of repentance in the message. Yet, we do see an example of, of someone being spared. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. You know what God was saying here? God was not saying, I'm changing the maximum lifespan to 120 years. Okay, That's not what He's saying right there. If somebody lives to be 121, it didn't just prove the Bible wrong. All right? He's just saying they've got 120 years, and I'm done. That's what he's saying. 120 years, and I'm wiping man out. That's what he said. That's what he's saying right here. 120 years, and that's it. A flood's coming, and I'm wiping out the world. Now, let me ask you: Is there a message of repentance in here? No, there is no message of repentance. So in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children of them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he hath made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Right here it's explaining why God has only given him 120 more years, and then he's going to destroy him. Okay? And it says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air." for it repenteth me that I have made them. Okay, Now understand, the first ten chapters of the book of Genesis cover about 2,000 years. It tells these stories pretty fast. But let me tell you what I believe is going on right here. God said, in 120 years, I'm going to destroy the world. It repenteth me. I've changed my mind. I wish I had made man on the earth. And I don't know how God got the message out there, but I believe they knew about it. 120 years is left. But somewhere during that time, I don't think it was before He announced this. I think it was sometime after He announced this. Look at what it says. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I believe during that time, There was a man that you know wasn't like the rest of the world. He was perfect in his generations. He was somebody who was following the Lord. He was somebody who obviously was not a perfect man. But I believe he heard that message. He heard of judgment. He believed God. And you know what? I think it's safe to say he probably prayed that the Lord would spare him and his family. And you know what? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God gave grace. Noah, a place of repentance, didn't he? Okay, it's not mentioned in that prophecy that there was a place of repentance, wasn't there? So, just keep that in mind. When we see things like many of the prophecies in the Bible, while it's not always mentioned, we often see there was a place of repentance. In other words, God gave repentance. God gave Noah a place to repent. Does that mean God went and in His divine power, He went and manipulated the will of Noah to change his mind so he would repent? No, that's not what it means at all. That's not, that is not what that means. And you know what? I don't believe God did that in Nineveh either. I don't believe after Jonah went in there that God went and manipulated the hearts and minds of all the people of Nineveh so they would repent. No, I believe they just repented and God saw that, and then God changed His mind. Uh, that, that's exactly what I think happened. So, look at what it says in verse 5, uh, back Jonah chapter 3. So this is after he says, Yet in forty days Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Now notice this. You know, I personally believe here because there was no message of repentance here, it was easier to see that this was genuine, wasn't it? Because, you know, don't your kids often repent when they find out they're going to get a spanking? But are they really sorry for what they did? And no, they're not really sorry. Okay? They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry that they're going to get in trouble. They're sorry that judgment is coming. But they're not really sorry. They have, their heart hasn't gotten right. They haven't changed their mind. Now in their minds, they're just thinking, you know what? After I deal with this spanking, you know, I'm going to just have to come up with more creative ways to torment my sisters, where I probably won't get in trouble. They've not really repented, okay? But the thing is, when not, you know, whenever you don't give it up, or if you say, if you tell them you're sorry, then you won't get spanked. Do you think it's really sorry then? Now, think about this. What if you spank them and then they go to their brother and sister without you telling them and they say they're sorry? Wouldn't that be a wonderful moment as a parent? I'm pretty sure that's... I know I never did that growing up. I'm never in my life that I get spanked for bothering my sisters and then after I got done, I voluntarily went and gave my sisters a hug and told them I was sorry. That never happened. But I I guarantee if that would have happened, it probably would have done my parents' hearts really good. (laughs) like, wow, hey, that worked great. I, I guarantee it would that would have happened. But here, and you know, a lot of times too, and, I'll, I, and I'm ashamed to admit this, and I probably shouldn't admit this in front of my kids, there were times when I did things to my sisters and I knew they were on their way to tattle. And I knew I'm getting spanked for sure. So I was like, you know what, if I'm going to get spanked, I'm going to make it worth it. So I would start like just doing more stuff to them. You know, Start throwing stuff at them or whatever, you know, before they went and told. Because, like, I'm getting spanked anyway. So I'm going, to, I'm going to make it worth it. Is that a real sign of repentance right there? No, that's a sign of a really wicked heart. Okay? But, here in this story, you know, God says Nineveh is going to be destroyed because of your wickedness, but He doesn't tell them if you repent, it'll go away. But what did they do? They repented. From the least of them, even to the greatest. It was a real genuine repentance that took place here. They did it Why? because they actually were sorry for what they had done. They believed God. All of a sudden, they'd finally been confronted by a prophet about their wickedness. They knew they were evil. They knew what they were doing wasn't right. Yet, they seemed like they'd been getting away with it. And then here He comes. He points it out. And they did. They had real, genuine repentance. And many people, they often... You know, will repent of things only to try to get out of the consequences. Here's another passage that Calvinists like to use 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. The old IFB uses this too when they're teaching repentance and salvation. This is after Paul, he wrote a letter telling him to cast the one man out of the church. This is the second letter. He's talking about how, you know, after he wrote the letter, he regretted it, you know, but then later he was glad he did because it worked. You know, but look what it says. For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorrow ap- sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You all see that right there? Now, you're going to have a pretty tough time convincing me that repentance here isn't being sorry and isn't feeling bad. It's pretty clear here what this repentance is. It says in there too, You know, it says repentance to salvation. So what is this talking about? What do we get from this? All right, you know, does this mean, you know, that person if they didn't give up all their sins, if they weren't crying, if they weren't, you know, weeping and wailing, they didn't really get saved, you know, you know, these one, two, three, you paid I mean, yep. is, is that, is that what, you know, are they right in this situation here? What do we do with this? All right. Well, here's the thing. What what do we teach about salvation? It's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And I believe when a person gets saved, they are repenting. Okay? But notice what he's saying here. He's how he's saying, you know, godly sorrow with repentance, not to be repented of. In other words, you're not going to repent of that repentance. Okay? You're not going to regret that decision. You know, you're not going to regret that decision that you made. It's going to be genuine. And you know what? You know, many people. So there, if it's the wrong kind of sorrow, okay. So for example, if you're out soul winning and you're telling somebody, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. Okay, some a, a, a fake repentance you could say is that person who is just like, well, man, I don't want to go to hell, and it's like they pray a prayer, not really believing. It's just. I'm just trying to get out of punishment. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not genuine. There's like, they don't even, it's not even if they really believe it. So it's like, you know, I'm just going to say this hoping it gets me out of trouble. Kind of like that kid, tell your sister you're sorry or you're getting spanked. I'm sorry. Thinking, I just, I'm just trying to avoid a consequence here. I've not really been... You know, you've not proved to me I'm a sinner. You've not proved to me I'm a bad person. I'm not really convinced that Jesus Christ will save me if I distrust Him without any works of my own. I don't know if I really believe that. I'm not really sure if I believe that He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. I don't know if I really believe that. But you know what? I don't like the sound of hell. You know what? I'll say whatever you want me to say just to, if that will help me avoid that. You all see what I'm saying? They're trying to get out of a consequence, but you know what? They don't believe it in their heart. And getting saved is not you just trying to get out of consequence. You do have to believe in your heart, don't you? And the godly sorrow that worketh repentance not to be repented of, a person who truly is repentant, they're not going to change their mind on that. And that's why I don't believe a person who gets saved can quit believing on Christ. A person who truly believes on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation is not going to repent of that. Not if it's a real belief. Not if it's a real belief in the heart. They're not going to repent of that. I've never even thought of it. I've never one time in my life, while there's a lot of temptations even saved people have, never one time in my life have I thought, you know what? I wish I wasn't saved. Man, I wish I could get out of this. You know, I'm secure in my salvation. I know I'm on my way to heaven. If I mess up tomorrow, I'm still going to go to heaven. How can I get out of that? Okay? Do you all realize that that... Isn't that why we teach eternal security when we go knock on doors? To make sure that people really believe that if you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, He will save you and keep you safe forever. Isn't that what we focus on? But is it? But is it also possible for you to go and just tell somebody about hell, while and that's the part that they that registers. You know, you can talk about Jesus and you can talk about hell, and you should. But they might think, "Hell, I don't want to go to hell. What do I have to do?" Hey, we got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's like a lot of times people don't fully understand it. They might just say a prayer, thinking. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me what I have to say so I don't have to go to hell. But yet, what happens with a lot of these people? Later they get caught up in false doctrine. They believe you can lose your salvation. They believe that, well, obviously you have to do good works too in order to go to heaven. We say those people aren't saved all the time, don't we? Why? Because you know what? Those people, they didn't have that real godly sorrow that worked with repentance not to be repented of. They were just saying what they had to say to get out of a consequence at that time. Y'all see the difference that I'm talking about? okay? And a person who has truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're never going to repent of that. They're never going to regret that. They're never going to want to let that go. But you know what? A person who in their mind is thinking, if I start being good, I'll go to heaven and I won't go to hell. Is it possible for people to repent of that? Absolutely. And they do all the time. They do that all the time, but nobody repents of real salvation. So, uh, you know, here in this story, in Jonah, these people clearly were truly repentant in their heart. Why? Because they did. They just proclaimed a fast, and they did this fast. I believe hoping God would change His mind, but not knowing for sure if He would or not. they like they're proclaiming a fast doesn't say how long this fast is, but I don't know. I almost wonder if maybe they were planning on going the whole forty days. If they're like, "Hey, folks, we're doomed. We're done. You know what? We're not eating. We're gonna wear sackcloth. We're gonna humble ourselves until God either kills us or until He changes His mind about the judgment that's coming." And you know, it's interesting. What is it that people often say about, you know, once saved, always saved? Who are deniers of it? Well, if I believe like you guys do, I just go pray a prayer and then I just go do all the sinning that I want. Okay? Is that godly sorrow that worketh repentance not to be repented of? No, it's not. That's them, I'll say whatever I've got to say to get out of the consequences, but I'm not repentant. I've not changed my mind. I don't think my sin's that big of a deal. I don't think my sin. You know, is enough to send me to hell. I don't believe that Jesus would just give me a free salvation. That's what they're really saying in their hearts. They really reveal themselves when they say that. And you know what? Just like people who say, if I believe once saved, always saved, I'd go out and I'd do all this kind of sin are revealing their hearts. Did you know it's the exact same heart? The exact same heart that says, well, if I believed in a post-tribulation rapture, then I just go live however I want to do, and once I see the Antichrist rise, then I'd get right with God. You know what? You're showing what your heart's really like. You don't want to serve God. You're not really truly repentant. You don't really believe in your heart that this is the best way. You're just doing all these things thinking you have to do, thinking you have to do them so you'll be spared the tribulation. That's not real repentance, folks. A person who has real repentance is just going to do right because they're convinced that it's the right thing to do. That that's why. So, you know, it, it does it reveals the heart. And God didn't give a place of repentance in the message, but the people repented anyway, and I think that's very telling. So look what it says in verse six of Jonah chapter three. It says, For the uh for word came unto King the King of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mildly unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. So notice this repentance. This was a national repentance that everyone participated in. Even the animals participated. And you know what? Since this was a national problem, it required national participation. This wasn't a story that, hey, those of you who will believe Me, you'll be spared, and it was for everybody else that's going to be in trouble. No, this was a prophecy... This was a judgment coming on the people as a whole and it was going to happen to the people as a whole. So if there was going to be repentance, it had to be by the people as a whole. And that's exactly what happened right here. And you know what? It's the same thing too when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, It wasn't enough that Lot was against the works of Sodom. You know what? The rest had to feel the same way. The whole city needed to repent. And you know, we can be individually saved like Noah was but that's not going to necessarily save the rest of the world is it it'll save us and you know what as if God pronounces a national judgment in the United States then we're not going to we're just not going to be automatically spared because we're saved either are we not unless the entire nation gets right when it comes to heaven and hell that is an individual response and we can take care of that. But some, t- some prophecies, some things, it's between you and God. Some things, it's between a nation and God. And in this story here, this repentance that we see, this was a national repentance. and There was a national participation. And I believe that was why it worked. So, the re- this repentance too, it was, it, was, it was an unconditional repentance from the people. Because they didn't know if it would work or not. Look what it says in verse nine. It says, "Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not?" They didn't know that this was going to work. Okay. They but the thing is, they were truly repentant, so they did it. They said, "You know what? Let's just see if God or if God will repent." Let's see if He'll change His mind. You know what? Let's do everything we're supposed to do and let's just hope that God will do what we need Him to do in this situation. And I think that was a great attitude right there. And I think that's the attitude that our nation needs to have. Because honestly, our nation has racked up so much blood through abortion and through all the wars and things and all the innocents that we've killed you know, by the fact too that we have not dealt with evildoers and more blood has been shed over that I mean honestly right now if we had a national revival and repented God could still destroy us the next day and I think he'd be just you know I think we're probably to the point where there's no getting out of it maybe maybe judgment could be delayed but you know what I don't know all that I know is America, we're done for. Okay? Here's the question it's just when. So, you know what? I'm going to keep on preaching repentance. I'm going to keep on preaching revival. Why? Just in case God changes his mind. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm sorry for what our country's done. I'm sorry for the abortion. I'm sorry for the wars. I'm sorry for the wars that I supported. I'm sorry for the perversion that has gone on in this country. I truly am sorry for what our country has done and for all that it is guilty of. I truly am sorry for that. And you know what? I personally want to repent. I'm not going to support any more of these unjust wars. I've never supported abortion. I've never supported perversion. But you know what? I'm going to still be repentant either way, just in case. Just in case... If God does pour judgment out on this earth, maybe He'll spare me. You know, I'm, I'll keep on being repentant just in case God may save America's judgment for His wrath after the tribulation after we're taken out of here. Either way, I truly am sorry, so you know what? I'm not going to be like, well, we're done for it, so you know what? We might as well keep killing babies. We're done for. we might as well keep pushing perversion. We might as well keep going to wars with other countries. Hey, if it benefits us financially, we're already done for. So, you know what? Why don't we go ahead and invade Iran? Why don't we go ahead and keep on attacking other countries in the Middle East? Maybe it'll make our oil prices go down. You know what? Why don't. That would be my attitude if I wasn't truly repentant, since I do believe we're done for. But, you know what? I am repentant. So, you know what? Let's stop it. Just in case. Just in case. That's our attitude that we ought to have. And that's the attitude that Nineveh had, and I love that attitude, we should have a real, genuine, when it comes to our our personal lives, we should have a real, genuine change of mind when it comes to our sins and when we're confronted about our sins. We We ought to realize that, you know what, man, my sins are going to send me to hell. My sins put Jesus on the cross. And you know what? While you know salvation is free, you know, while, while we can't lose our salvation, you know what? I'm gonna do my best to stop doing it anyway. Just because it's wrong. Yeah, I'm gonna to go to heaven, but I can still be judged on this earth for my sins. You know, I'm not gonna be perfect, but I can still at least do my best. Why? So maybe I'll be spared some heartache on this world. You know, that's what a truly repentant person does. That's a real uh, repentant attitude. So look at verse 10. It says, "...and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that He had said He would do unto them, and He did it not." Right there is one of the best verses that you can use to prove what we teach about repentance. I mean, that verse right there it has it all because first of all notice that in this story God accepted their repentance okay now God did not have to accept their repentance God does not always have to accept repentance y'all understand that because first did God accept Esau's repentance no he did not okay God did God did not but here's when God does have to accept repentance it's when he, he said he would for example when somebody wants to get saved, he has to accept that. Why? Because He said, Him that cometh, him, cometh to Me, I will in no wise cast out. Because God said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because God said, if thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So therefore, anyone who comes to God calling on Him for salvation, God has to allow them repentance. Okay? God has to. But, in the case of Our sins as believers, God doesn't, if, if we, you know, do something really bad, God's gonna deal with us. And we can, when we mess up, we can go and we can ask God to forgive us, but you know what? God doesn't necessarily have to repent of the punishment He's gonna bring us. He might, but He might not either. Y'all get that? Some repentance, God doesn't always give. In this story, when God did not have to give Nineveh a repentance because God did not, in that message, promise them, "If you turn from your sins, I will give you that. I will accept your works." God did not give that promise there, but yet He did it here. And so, notice just a few things here. Uh, you know, while you know this repentance we see here too. I, you know, I do believe there was probably a lot of people in Nineveh that got saved, but does anybody think 100% of the people in Nineveh got saved and went to heaven? Probably not. Okay, because once again, this repentance was not a repentance for salvation; it was a repentance to be spared national judgment, physical death. Okay, that's what it was for. I'm sure a lot of people got saved, but. That's not what this was about. This wasn't about getting saved. This wasn't about believing God for righteousness. This was about being spared judgment that was coming. So Jonah 3 is not about soul salvation, but it's about physical salvation. That's important to understand that. Don't use this to prove how you get saved. All right, That's not what this is about. Also, because here's, here's another reason too, I don't believe these people all necessarily got saved. Because notice what it says. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. Can anybody think of anybody in the Bible who God saved by accepting their because he accepted their works? No, God doesn't accept our works. Okay, faith. All right? It's only faith that saves us. God does not is not going to accept your works as a way of salvation. You go ahead and try whatever way you want to present your works to God as a method of salvation, it's not going to work. He wants faith. And you know what? I believe Cain's offering of the work of his hands made more sense than a s- sacrificing an innocent lamb. Now, understand, that makes sense to us because we understand what it pictures. But what made it, but the thing is, why would Abel have done that? I believe it's because God told him to. And you know what? He believed God. And in truth is, he might have known more about the sacrifice than we realize. You know, I, I, I've, I've, I've preached. Before on how you know I proved from verses that they knew a lot more about the death, burial, and resurrection than we give them credit for. Back then, there's plenty of evidence of that. But either way, God does not accept the work of our hands as salvation. So that's not what we see, that's not salvation that we or soul salvation we see going on there. But when God would accept the sacrifices in the Old Testament, it was because of their faith. You say, how are they showing faith in killing a lamb? Once again. Forget you know the New Testament. Forget you know about Jesus Christ. When God tells you, hey, you want your sins to be taken care of? You kill that lamb and sacrifice it on the altar. Okay. I sinned. A lamb has to die? Okay, try to put yourself in their place. This makes perfect sense to us because we understand what it pictures. But it wouldn't have made any sense to them at all, yet they did it. Why? Why? Because they believed God. Because they had faith and they trusted Him. Okay, I'll sacrifice this innocent lamb. I mean, a lamb, one of the nicest animals, never hurt anybody. How about sacrifice a lion that's always killing the lambs? But no, we're going to sacrifice what's innocent? Yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. And looking back, we see exactly why God told them to do that. So the thing is, I'm not impressed with their works in sacrificing a lamb, but I, you know what, I am impressed with the faith that it took. They, they believed God, so they, and they were saved. But ultimately, uh, we'll turn over to Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, I, I did not put the verse in my notes. Oh, here, here. Matthew 12 verse 39. Look at this. It says, but he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon." and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, some people use this first to show that the people in Nineveh all were getting soul salvation. But listen, what Jesus is talking about here when He brings up the people in Nineveh is He's saying they repented at the preaching of Jonah. In other words, they believed Jonah. They believed what He said. What was His message? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? No. The message was, you're going to get destroyed in 40 days. And they repented of their works, of their of their evil works, and they were spared, you know, uh, you know, they were spared physical destruction. Okay, the reason he brings up the people of Nineveh here, if the people of Nineveh were willing to repent at the preaching of Jonah, how much more should the people of Israel repented at the preaching of Jesus? He's just saying, hey, better than jo- I'm better than Jonah. Jesus was Jonah was not a very good prophet Jonah didn't preach a very good message Yea, in 40 days and then should be overthrown Jesus preached way better than Jonah how many miracles do we see Jonah doing zero all right some people might have seen him get vomited up vomited on dry land they might have thought man this guy travels by whale all right you know that that might have impressed some people I don't know still not as cool as walking on the water. It's not as cool as multiplying loaves. Not as cool as raising people from the dead. Healing blind people. you know, Healing a withered hand. All the things that Jesus did, way better. And so what Jesus bring up, man, these people, listen, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. You won't repent at the preaching of Me. They're going to rise up in judgment against you. In other words, their testimony, the fact that they repented at the preaching of Jonah proves that the Jews had no excuse for not repenting of the preaching of Christ. So, that's that's what that's talking about there. And students of the Bible, they often make the mistake of trying to make the Bible say more about a subject than it actually does. So it's like, well, I'm going to preach on repentance, so I've got to make every passage about repentance about soul salvation. No, you don't. Only unless it's talking about soul salvation, then you need to do it. And everybody who preaches wrong on repentance... They always are using verses from the Old Testament that are not have nothing to do with soul salvation, and they'll even use the verses in the New Testament, like in Second Timothy, you know, that don't have to do with salvation either, you know about repentance doctrine. So, uh, look what it says in Matthew eleven, Matthew eleven verse twenty, it says then began He to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. These other cities that were destroyed, they would have repented if they would have seen the things that you've seen. And you should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon the day of judgment for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. This is a verse that people like to use to prove that almost can be saved. Okay, what's this talking about? Is this talking about soul salvation or national salvation, like in Nineveh? Okay, it was talking about national salvation, like in Nineveh. And what what did and the thing, what did God tell Abraham? If there's ten righteous people. Well, you know what? There weren't ten righteous people. You know why? Because nobody ever preached in Sodom. Nobody ever went and preached the gospel in Sodom. So you know what? There weren't any saved, there weren't even ten saved people there. And it, it doesn't say they would have, you know, if they were repented in Sodom too, they would have received salvation, went to heaven, but the city wouldn't have been destroyed. That's that's what wouldn't have happened. If there would have just been ten righteous people there, the city would not have been destroyed. If the city does not get destroyed, then would we say that the the men of Sodom got saved? Yes, from physical destruction. But would those homos gone to heaven? Absolutely not. But they would have been saved physically. Alright, y'all get that? There is a difference. And the preaching of Jonah was for a physical salvation, and they believed it, and they were saved. The preaching, or well, the preaching that didn't happen to Sodom, it would have been for a physical salvation, so the city is not destroyed. Now, this preaching that's going on to Israel here, this is for spiritual salvation. But you know what? They believe it. And they had no excuse for that. And because of that, they ended up being rejected. They ended up losing the kingdom. So except many people in history, they did the right thing when they were preached to, and they did it with way less. The Jews, they had miracle after miracle, still didn't do it. So the lessons that we learned from this story about repentance is, just, first off, not all repentance is about soul salvation. And don't try to make it that way. Repentance isn't always turning from your sin. Proof, God repented. And also, we learn from this, is that repenting of sins is a work. Turning from sins is a work that is spelled out. God saw their works that they turned from their wicked ways. So salvation is not of works, therefore salvation is not by turning from your sins. That that proves it right there. And we're reminded that God often repents. So every time you see the word "repent," it can't always mean repenting of sins. But isn't that exactly what these camp meeting preachers do? Say are right there, repent. Repent's all over the Bible. Therefore, you got to repent of your sins. Now, um, no, that's a work. So you've got to you've got to get the context of these things. And I think I think Jonah chapter three. Has a little bit of everything, with repentance in there. It covers almost all, pretty much all the definitions that you can see of repentance. If people just study Jonah chapter three, they wouldn't be so mixed up on repentance. And repentance is a pretty important subject that we need to preach. We need to preach it right. So let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you for your word. Pray you'll help us to learn from this, Lord. We thank you that you gave us an opportunity to repent, Lord. We thank you that you made a way of salvation for us, Lord. I pray that You will help us to repent of our wickedness as a nation, Lord. I pray we'll see uh, have national repentance, Lord. And whether it stalls off the judgment, avoids it, or doesn't change a thing, Lord, I pray we'll repent either way. Lord, if we're going to get destroyed, I'd like for us to be destroyed after having uh, done something right and uh, not added any more blood to our hands. Lord, I pray You'll help us to Spread the message of repentance for salvation in the right way. We'll see many more people saved. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.